Best Health for Us podcast for employees of Wake Forest Baptist Health. So welcome. This is our weekly podcast with Best Health for Us. And my name is Jane Anderson Weiss, and I'm a dietitian with the Best Health for Us team, which is our employee wellness program for Wake Forest Baptist Health. Hey, and I'm Elizabeth Meinhardt. I am the communications manager for Best Health for Us. And we are so excited that you guys are listening to us. We've been getting some great feedback. So thank you. Thank you. Keep it coming. I am especially excited about the podcast that we have today. So I can't wait to introduce that. But before we do it, Elizabeth, what'd you do this week to take care of yourself? So this week has been a little crazy in that we have some, some big deadlines that were due this week. And so today, this morning, I actually carved out an hour of time to sit and sew in my sewing room. Um, so it was nice to just turn everything off and totally focus on the bag I was sewing and not think about anything else. So it was just a nice getting in the flow and in the zone kind of moment this morning. So it was a great way to like hit the ground running for the day. You know, I already feel like Mm -hmm. I had success this morning before (laughs) 8am. Wow. That is like such a good and important way to separate something that you really enjoy doing from work and, (laughs) and the responsibilities that you have to other people or those checklists that really pile up. Right. (laughs) It was nice to not worry about a checklist at all. I mean, the Mm -hmm. checklist of making the bag, but that's a fun checklist. (laughs) (laughs) So it was nice to, to kind of get into that zone. And especially because earlier this week with our deadlines, I was going into work between seven 30 and eight, which is just earlier than I normally do, which is not a big deal. It's just earlier. So I wasn't able to sew earlier in the week like I normally would. So it was nice Mm -hmm. to kind of reclaim that time. That's an early start to your day. What time did you start doing that? So I started about 6.30, (sighs) 6.45. But I had my my morning tea with me. So Mm -hmm. between some stitches, I could get my caffeine hit as I was waking up. (laughs) (laughs) Always important. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How about you, Miss Jane? What have you been up to for self-care? You know, similarly, I've been kind of gravitating toward art, like wanting to do get back to that. And interestingly, we had a team and and one of the projects that I'm involved with, with um, Baptist had a team meeting that was all around watercoloring. Yeah. There's a local artist. Her name's Beth Glover plug for Beth Glover. (laughs) And, um, and she's amazing. She facilitates these watercolor workshops virtually. And she may be starting to do some things in person, but we were able to learn some techniques on watercolor. This is a few weeks ago, but I actually got supplies to be able to do a little bit of watercolor. And that is really relaxing to be able to do that. And watercolor is extremely forgiving. Yes. Yes. It's one of my favorite painting mediums. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So it makes me feel like I can like make something look almost kind of (laughs) good. <laughs> but it's also really relaxing to be able to do that. And, and you can quickly, it dries really quickly. So it's yeah. not like it takes a lot of time to do it either. And you're, you're like literally playing with color and water. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot like those sand art things that people like pull rakes through. It's just wet instead. Yeah. I love yeah. watercolor. Yeah. Really affordable hobby too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, I mean, you can literally start with the like $1.51 that you buy for your kid, you know, when they're in kindergarten, you can start with that one. Those colors are perfectly good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I would get watercolor paper, I would say, but aside from that. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that goes a long way to have the paper. It does. I also like a a nice board to, to tape the watercolor paper onto Mm. gives you some nice clean edges, but also just keeps it like 
from running all over the place. And, and then if it soaks through for some reason, the board is easily cleaned and, mm. or it's your artist board. So it's a mess and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great tip. <laughs> I should have remembered that when I was doing that <laughs> years of art school, you know, I learned something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's well, very nice. Yeah. This week, our podcast is focusing on one of our classes that started this spring. If you've been following along with this podcast, you know that we're focusing on a few different areas of best health for us. And one of them is empowering you, which is our weekly series focusing on how to empower you (laughs) in your wellness journey. We've also been playing some meditations in some of our, our classes. One of the classes that I actually teach and really have, have embraced in the time that I've been with best health for us is intuitive eating. So that is the, the class we're going to share today is week one from the intuitive eating series. We had a massive response to this with employees signing up for it. Over a hundred people signed Ooh. up. <laughs> Awesome. So, so yeah, it's, it's fun to see the interest really growing around this approach, just as a little bit of background to which you'll hear about in the podcast. This is all about connecting to your body and how you're eating through three things, instinct. So really listening to when you actually feel hungry, full, just learning to, to get those cues from your body emotion, because we're not reptiles or robots. <laughs> so that, that's a great thing. And, and so there is some emotion that comes with eating and, and trying to totally get rid of that is not something we can actually do. So how do we use that to our benefit? And then rational thinking, it's not all one thing or the other. It's a blend of those things, which is what makes it so fulfilling to, to learn more about intuitive eating. So it's a six week series. This is week one. I think even six weeks is not enough time to pack it in, but it it is a good way to get kind of this introduction to what the approach is about. And I'm a big fan of the authors, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. So if you are a fan of podcasts and you're here, Evelyn Triboli is on a lot of podcasts and she has a infectious laugh. <laughs> she's very uh, energetic. And, and so she, she's done a lot of interviews and, and I would encourage, you know, people to kind of go down that rabbit hole of, of what other intuitive eating resources are out there, but I hope you'll enjoy this, this kind of segment today from our, our series. And also for a little plug back to our previous podcast, we touch on intuitive eating in the Katie Ward episode. So if you also want a slightly different perspective, we've also got Katie Ward, another dietitian, uh, a former dietitian with Best Health for Us. So check that one out as well. Well, let's go ahead and get it started. What is intuitive eating? So this is essentially a framework for self-care and eating through the lens of self-care. Um, it was developed by two registered dietitians. I just mentioned Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. Um, Evelyn Triboli is kind of the person who made it very popularized because she has been interviewed on a lot of different morning news stations and um, has done a lot of publicity, really, for intuitive eating. And so you may have seen her before. And it's essentially the anti-diet to end all diets is the way that they put it. This is an evidence-based approach. And at this point, there's a lot more and more studies are coming out supporting intuitive eating. The idea is that it integrates instinct, emotion, and thought, which I'll expand more on. This is weight inclusive. I'll also expand more on that. It embraces mindfulness, but it's different than mindful eating. And then there are 10 principles that um, have been developed and followed through intuitive eating. And like, like I said, there are 
many, many studies that are now supporting intuitive eating that have been conducted. And what we're learning is that people who adopt intuitive eating as a practice tend to see that they incorporate more variety of foods. They see that they appreciate their body more. They're trusting their body more. They're finding that eating is more enjoyable. Uh, they can notice more body cues. So connecting to that uh, interoceptive awareness, which is essentially being able to feel more in tune to the signals that your body is sending you. And overall, people are seeing increased well-being and self-esteem, noticing some of their lab values improving, and in finding productive coping mechanisms for stress and other things. So many benefits to practicing intuitive eating. So I mentioned that intuitive eating is a blend of instinct, emotion, and thought. So the brain, you know, we, why do we eat what we eat? There is like, you know, some instinct and we feel hungry, we need to eat. Then there's some emotional and social reasons that we do that. That's the limbic part of the brain. And, and then there is some rational thinking um, that's um, incorporated too. So um, when we're babies, we're born intuitive eat as intuitive eaters. So, you know, when we're, um, if you have a baby, <laughs> If you've had kids, you can relate to this. What what happens when a baby is hungry? It cries. It's unhappy. It's uncomfortable. So it's it's very instant. That instinct hunger is not really comfortable, and so it does something to react to that. But as we get, grow older, emotions and thoughts start to play a role in in what and how we choose to eat, what we do, and that can over time kind of vary the intuitive eater. Um, and obviously, we wouldn't want to be adults who cry when we're hungry, <laughs> but uh, how do we blend these things um, to be happy about the way that we eat and treat our bodies? So that reptilian part of our brain, the, the primitive, instinctive response is uh, not really consciously controlled. This is wired in for survival. Um, just feel hungry, go for it. And, and we don't, you know, fortunately, we have a little bit more development in our brains than just that. Uh, so the limbic brain is kind of where we host the emotional and social behaviors. And um, it elaborates more on the data that we're uh, wired in to process. Um, allows us to store and communicate information and allows for choice. Do I want to? Okay, I, I feel kind of hungry. Do I want to have... Um, this soup that looks warm and um, that looks pretty filling, or do I want to have the sandwich? You know, there's that reminds me of this time that um, I had that, that sandwich with my friend, and there's something that feels really comforting about that. That's an example of kind of the emotional, social aspect of, of this part of the brain and how it relates to eating. And then there's the rational brain, and so this is monitoring both instinct and emotion, for better or worse. <laughs> and it's kind of um, looking at, at all um, aspects of um, why we're eating what we're eating and taking into account um, these different things. And also, this is where sometimes you can pull in different rules that are just arbitrary. And um, in the beginning of the Intuitive Eating book, there's a quote that I really like from Daniel Siegel, who wrote, who's a physician, he wrote the book Mindsight. And um, he says, the brain's integrative function illuminates how reasoning, once thought to be a purely logical mode of thinking, is in fact dependent on the non-rational processing of our bodies. So um, what 
I think the takeaway from that quote, and you'll learn over the course of intuitive eating, is that um, it's not purely based on uh, what we know. I can't tell you how many times in the, the years that I've been working with employees that I've heard from people, I know what I should do, I just struggle to do it. And, um, and so it's, it's not just about what we know, it's about listening to our bodies and whether that means listening to how we respond to stress, uh, listening to when we are starting to feel low energy, what to do about that. Um, so that is, you know, our body gives us really solid cues. And so figuring out how to process that is a, is a big part of intuitive eating. Another kind of short way of putting that is with, with how we regard these different parts of the brain. So intuitive eating is the dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and rational thinking, which I'll give many examples for in the book, workbook, both have lots, lots more examples to you. Through this approach, you're going to be honoring your health by respecting the signals that your body is telling you while meeting physical and emotional needs. So, um, so I mentioned to you that this is a weight-inclusive approach. Um, health at every size is uh, essentially the idea that um, you're focusing first on your health. And, and that is really uh, the way to, to learn to honor your body, appreciate the functions, and taking care of it and not trying to always shrink it or focus only on scales or focus only on the size, uh, because that can, that can actually kind of undermine some of your, your health goals. If you're only uh, results-based, if you're only looking at results, I'm sorry, in terms of um, did I lose weight, did the scales go down, then you may start to think like, what's the point if I am not seeing it go down and I've been starting to exercise, I've been starting to cook more, it's, this isn't worth the trouble versus if you're looking at like I'm feeling that I notice I feel stronger. I feel like it's easier to go upstairs. I'm not getting out of breath as much. I'm enjoying these meals that I'm cooking. Um, those, all of those things can be so much more productive to focus on rather than trying to think about um, purely driven by weight loss. This is, this is also really including like respect for your body a lot of people don't feel like they can really get onto the body positivity train, but they just never can imagine feeling that, that positive about their body. But maybe they can get to a point where they feel like they can at least respect it and what it's doing for them. So the goal of, of intuitive eating, really, and, and having a weight-inclusive approach is that we're focusing on health and well-being. And, and this includes everyone. And you don't have to reach a certain size before you start this. And, you know, every single person can find something they don't like about themselves. So focusing on things that you do and, um, and learning to appreciate what your body does for you. Uh, health at every size, that concept also really incorporates the idea that BMI alone is not an indicator of health. So I'll let that, that sit in for a moment because I think that we've reached a point where it feels like it. That's another thing that a lot of people uh, make appointments through us to talk about, you know, my BMI is elevated. I learned that I'm considered obese or, or overweight, and this just feels very threatening to me. Um, but that's not purely an indicator of your health to only look at that number. So it's really important to understand you're more than just that. You, you are your, you know, your behaviors and um, your family history. And, and so looking at things that, that you can feel kind of empowered by is really important. So there's also all different types of bodies and shapes of bodies. And, and so understanding that that is a good thing. 
society kind of tells us that there's this picture of health and that is being really thin or being really muscular, but there's, there's really a lot of different types of bodies. And that's again, a good thing. And we don't, we need to kind of learn to challenge some of the pressures that are social media and, and then all different kinds of weight loss ads and, and different things that, that tell us all the time that we need to change and fix our bodies, but rather focus more on self-care and how we treat ourselves, whether that's eating, exercising, resting, the list goes on and on. So what's that important about practicing body kindness? Why do you think that's important? Confidence, yeah. And for adopting a proper mindset and self-love and acceptance. Yeah, these are all great answers. Grace, oh, thank you so much to pass on to our daughters too. <laughs> you know, this is the what we're demonstrating to people around us too, what we're focusing on. And it does allow for more positive energy, change of focus. Thank you. Those are all great. So uh, body kindness is also thinking about when you have a neutral or positive body image, this naturally promotes self-care. You want to take care of yourself when you feel like either neutral or positive about your body. When you feel really negative about it, that's where unhealthy thoughts and behaviors kind of develop and um, and that's where people often feel like they they don't want to really do these positive things for their body but instead they're kind of thinking about punishing themselves like not eating for hours in a day and seeing that as a as a good thing or spending a lot of time exercising thinking thinking that that's beneficial but really that's kind of a punishment if it doesn't feel enjoyable to you and then the other thing is that research shows us that people with negative body negative body image perform worse mentally and physically. Someone, you know, shared that when, you know, what this is what we pass on to our daughters, there has, there have been studies on um, when girls tend to, and I, I know this is more specifically with, with females, but this may also apply to males too, but as they uh, begin to become kind of preoccupied with their image, they start to perform worse in school and in sports. So that's a good thing about having this kind of neutral or positive body image. It can uh, contribute to doing the things that we want to do. Maybe something to think about too is how does social media affect our body image and how we feel about ourselves. I work with a lot of teenagers and I can tell you most of the time it's not a good thing. <laughs> I'm going to transition here with mindful eating and what is mindful eating. I bet a lot of you have heard of that before. So mindful eating is essentially just incorporating mindfulness awareness to the practice of eating. So pretty straightforward. This is paying attention to what we're eating, eating with awareness, being aware of the sensations of the experience of eating, and just acknowledging the whole process, chewing, tasting, swallowing food moment by moment. This is an image that we share a lot with this teaching this class. Um, It's kind of like the my plate, choose my plate image, but thinking about mindful eating. And it incorporates these components, savoring your food, really noticing the texture, the smell, the flavor. Uh, is it crunchy? Is it spicy? And, and I feel like this is often, you know, how we talk to you, uh, to kids <laughs> with, with thinking about like, what are you noticing about the food? So savoring food is part of mindful eating, really noticing just the things about the food. And then um, awareness is, is really, you know, being present tasting versus just kind of just mindlessly eating. Observing is is really like noticing what's happening to your body. 
before you're eating? Did you notice that you're starting to feel low energy, kind of feeling stressed? Did you feel satisfied after the meal? Did your stomach feel really empty beforehand? And then being in the moment is, is kind of, to me, that an awareness really uh, go hand in hand, trying to remove a lot of distractions. So not looking at TV or your computer or email while you're eating, but trying to really focus on just what's what's at hand or what you're eating. Um, just, just doing that, just being there um, to eat. And then um, one of the most important parts is also non-judgment. So being self-compassionate and, and not allowing those shoulds to really interfere with your enjoyment of the meal, because that will get in the way of you really being able to connect to your body. If you're feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be eating this, then, then those rules can get in the way of you really hearing like, this is really good, or this isn't really that good. <laughs> or, you know, learning to, to listen to what satisfaction and fullness feel like. More complicated than it sounds like. Why practice mindfulness? You listen to your body more. It's like helpful for making choices. You feel more in tune with your body and food, also savoring things. I think that uh, the cafeteria has thrown some people off because there's a mindful station and it does happen to be some pretty straightforward whole foods that are included there. But mindfulness is not the food itself. Food is not mindful. You, you're the practice is mindfulness. So you can have your French fries mindfully. You can have an apple mindfully. You can have a piece of candy mindfully. So it's, it's not just healthy food <laughs> or foods that we view as like very plain. There's some like, oh, I was going to add that if you if you do want kind of guidance and practicing this, there's something called the Raisin Meditation, and it's really easy to find online, and it is a practice in looking at this raisin. You can do it with any food, but you, you look at it, hold it in your hand like you've never seen it before, smell it, and then you like bite into a raisin and, um, and notice the experience of chewing it. So that's, that's online if you want to um, practice this separate from a meal, just, just kind of do that thoughtfully. So we're talking about this because most of us don't practice mindful eating. It's definitely a culture we live in where we're doing as much multitasking as possible, eating at the same time as doing other things, driving, um, working, and uh, running errands, whatever. So, uh, so we've become really good at multitasking, but um, that, that has its downfall. I think that this is this is kind of glorified in a healthcare setting to eat as quickly as possible or um, to do that, uh, you know, as minimal, minimize the experience as much as possible. Because I work with a lot of different um, uh, positions or people in different positions, and, and it takes a lot of, I'd say, prioritizing your self-care to really step away and say, hey, I'm going to take 10 minutes to go eat. And that's not the case for everyone, but it, but it can be. So. Why practice it? Uh, you guys gave a lot of different um, input on, on why it um, is, is a good thing to do. Um, but it also has positive, and this is something we've learned through research, positive impacts on stress and depression, anxiety. This is general mindfulness, not just mindful eating. Um, but if you incorporate this or apply this to eating, it's easier to prepare or to practice this in other areas of your life too. Some distinctions between mindless versus mindful eating are that mindless eating is essentially kind of doing this while you're doing other things or just kind of like, I gotta, I just gotta eat real fast while I'm doing this other thing. And it's not really taking into consideration anything about the food. <laughs> Sometimes it's just 
completely random, has nothing to do with connecting to your body or emotionally. It's just maybe sometimes coping with uh, uncomfortable emotion, loneliness or boredom, sadness, procrastination. Mindful eating is really learning more to listen to your body. You hear fullness more readily when you're eating mindfully. It's noticing that you're connecting to to what you're having to eat, that sensory experience. And um, and typically mindful eating, um, there is going to be like an appreciation for this. It feels nourishing to eat this. And so it is a little bit more structured to having like a, a designated time, place to eat rather than it just being so impulsive or sporadic. Some other reasons to practice mindful eating are... Um, that it can, like I said before, but this can definitely impact your your entire life. So if you're adopting mindful eating, that can um, help you have a better sense of balance and well-being, which which mindfulness also contributes to as well. So I mentioned that I would draw a distinction between mindful eating and intuitive eating. And um, mindful eating is great. You know, that's something that does honor those biological cues that are so important. It's also not judgmental. It's just really embracing the experience of eating and the food and how your body responds. And it is relying on um, inner wisdom of, of listening to what satisfaction feels like and um, what it feels like you, you want to, to have to eat, that kind of thing. Intuitive eating is learning to really reconnect with like what it means to just um, make the decision of what to eat based on that instinct and maybe the, the emotional kind of thinking, and then um, your rational thinking. But uh, to do that, you really have to learn to reject a lot of those rules of dieting that have been there in the past. Because all of those things, if you think about it, which we're going to spend some time diving into this at our next session, those rules of dieting definitely get in the way of you being able to connect to your body. Because that is not taking into account anything about maybe your hunger, maybe you've reached the calorie limit for the day, but you feel starved, like you're starving, or maybe you've reached your point limit, but you're, you're still hungry, or you can have something that feels, you know, like it gives you something to, to chew on, but it's not really satisfying in any way. So, so intuitive eating is really based on letting go of so many of those rules that have gotten in the way of you connecting to your body. And it also incorporates activity and gentle nutrition. Activity, the idea with that being that when you're moving your body, you can connect to it better. So when you start to do like stretching or yoga or just walking, you start to notice more um, of those cues that helps with sensing more of those more easily. And then the gentle nutrition part is really having kind of a basis for, you know, if you have family history of diabetes or heart disease, like maybe you are incorporating some of those uh, evidence-based pieces of information and, um, and you're trying to incorporate that into what you have to eat or your overall kind of eating practice. There are eight types of hunger and outlined in intuitive eating, but you didn't know there are eight different types of hunger. And, and I really love this part because I think that um, this helps with kind of identifying, you know, when you're feeling like, I am not really hungry, but I really want food. And, and so that's the idea here. So, um, so the first one listed here is eye hunger. You see something looks appetizing. You see an advertisement for some really delicious like chicken sandwich or the steak dinner. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have to have that right now. Or if you ever watch the Food Network and you, you see them cooking something and it just looks really good and it makes you want some sort of food. 
ear hunger is where you're hearing people talk about food or you're hearing popcorn popping or someone eating chips or, or something that's like, oh, that makes me want that. I mean, I think this applies to everyone, but when you're smelling like cookies baking or smelling some really aromatic type of food, then then that may drive this desire to you like, oh my gosh, I really want to, to have some of that. And there's a lot of psychology to this because I've done a lot of cooking demonstrations in the past. And I would always choose foods that are very aromatic, like something with curry powder or um, onions and garlic. So the people are really smelling it and they're going to come around and want to try something. Um, so that's called nose hunger. And, and then mouth hunger is where you may want to just like chew on something kind of crunchy or maybe like gummy things that people really like. Or maybe it's something like the temperature has to do with uh, with a craving for a specific texture. Heart hunger is where it's emotionally driven. What's driving you to eat or want to eat is feeling that um, kind of stress or boredom or feeling lonely. Or sometimes it's happy, like feeling like, you know, I really want to get, um, you, you associate certain foods with a celebratory uh, kind of emotion or spirit. Um, and then stomach hunger is going to be probably what most of us automatically thought of when hearing hunger. And that is like actually feeling your stomach growling or there's an emptiness feeling. It's really important to note that this is, this is different for different people. So some people never really experience it in their stomach. They, don't, they just don't really notice it there, that sensation. But maybe they do notice that they get really irritable um, when that could be called hangry. And um, they start to feel kind of fatigued or they're noticing a headache, um, just that low energy kind of feeling. But that is the, the physical actual sensation of, um, of your, your stomach being getting kind of empty or feeling like it needs to have food. And cellular hunger is literally uh, you, you need or want food badly enough that uh, the, the nutrients in your cells are telling you <laughs> we need it. And that can come sometimes through thirst. And, um, and you're, you're feeling that in many different ways. And sometimes it can indicate, you know, that, that you just, you need to get some hydration. Um, but, you know, sometimes people feel like they can tell, like I've been craving meat. I think I need to get some protein or the list kind of goes on. Um, mind hunger is also where you're, you're thinking, you know, about the thoughts or judgments about food. That may be like, you know, I feel guilty about having eaten something, so I should have this or, or shouldn't have. And um, so that's not exactly a, uh, a type of hunger that really resonates in the body. Again, it's, it's all in the mind there. So these are the 10 principles of intuitive eating. And, um, and we are going to divide these. So we have five weeks after today. Today is really kind of an introduction to intuitive eating, uh, which is perfect since a lot of you may not have your books yet. <laughs> or your work workbooks. So today's introduction, we will meet again in two weeks, and then we'll start with these first two principles of intuitive eating, and then we'll expand um, the remaining four weeks on the other ones. So the first one, oh, and let me give a disclaimer here that you don't have to go in order with uh, the principles of intuitive eating. Let's say we get to the end of the six weeks and you feel like what really spoke to me was like, I don't know what feeling full feels like. I really think I want to work on that. So you don't necessarily have to go in order. Um, you can really take it as, as what feels like you're most ready for. But um, the first one is rejecting the diet mentality because 
that's kind of letting go of those rules so that you can connect more to what it feels like, for example, to feel full. Um, so if you've had all of these diets that you followed in the past that can really clutter uh, your, your brain, your ability to connect to, um, you know, I think that feeling full is a lot more than what the diet that I've followed in the past would, would let me really uh, have. So, so rejecting the diet mentality is learning, you know, what are those rules that have been set up? What was the point of them? How are they not serve me because most of the time they're not really serving you're connecting to your body and taking care of it and so that's that's the first one honoring your hunger is um is learning to figure out what hunger feels like in your body and and there's something that's called primal hunger that we've probably all experienced and that is reaching a point where you're so hungry you you kind of divert to that um, or re revert to the instinctive kind of eating where you start thinking like, I would literally eat my shoe if it was edible. I'm so hungry. Or like you're just getting so irritable that you're beyond kind of thinking rationally about what you're going to have to eat. It's, it's, it's hard to kind of connect to that intuitive eater when you're thinking about um, you just, you just want to have something to eat. So honoring your hunger is really finding like, I, I try not to let myself get too hungry because I don't want to, um, I still want to be able to ask myself, what sounds good right now? What would, what would feel good to eat? And then making peace with food is really learning to give yourself unconditional permission to, to eat a variety of foods and to be okay with that. And, um, and that, is a, that is a major principle of intuitive eating um, because when we allow foods to hold a lot of power over us, it can feel very threatening to you to try to be at a social event or to try to to have to include these foods that we have felt really kind of unsafe eating or, or feel like we we have a hard time um, drawing boundaries around them or lose control around them so making peace with food is really um, identifying like what are those those foods that feel kind of threatening or scary and then like making peace with that and um, and it's in a very I think approachable way that that's Lined, lined up. Uh, challenging the food police is um, internal mostly, but if you have external food police in your life, then it may be challenging them to you. But this is identifying those unhelpful thoughts when you're eating. If, if you're feeling that like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that, or you should only have lettuce at this restaurant, you should only have a salad. Um, so it's really learning to challenge that and look more into you know, I feel pretty hungry or I feel like I really want to have that food. If I don't, I'll feel deprived. And I might end up um, when I get home eating like three times as much anyway. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of challenging um, some of those, that internal dialogue that's just not helpful for relating to your body. Feeling your fullness is, is finding like, what is that comfortable fullness for you? Um, and discovering the satisfaction factor is really important authors of intuitive eating say that this this principle touches all the other principles because for, for reasons we'll talk about when we address uh that that principle but essentially it's really learning you know what sounds good to me right now what would feel good to eat i think that a lot of people have the impression that intuitive eating is simply eat whatever you want eat what you want when you want where you want or they think that intuitive eating is just like eat when you're hungry stop when you're full it is both and neither of those things. <laughs> so it's, it's really learning to find what feels good to eat 
and also learning like what you really want. And, and sometimes what you really want doesn't feel good to eat. And, um, and sometimes what feels good to eat isn't really what you want. So maybe it, it would be really nice to have like this salmon salad with whatever you, you want a little bit more food than that. Or, you know, so, so anyway, it's, it's kind of tapping into that rational kind of thinking and listening to your body um, at the same time. So the satisfaction factor is kind of navigating all of those things. And, um, and in the last few principles, coping with your emotions without using food, I will say here to you as a disclaimer that this is a six-week class, well, seven weeks, but we're skipping, uh, or, you know, total, but six, six sessions. And, um, and a lot of intuitive eating kind of goes against the grain of, uh, of what our culture is kind of practicing. So, um, so I don't totally expect for you to adopt, I definitely don't expect for you, in fact, to adopt intuitive eating at the end of this, but this is really just to, um, to expose it, to, to learn a different approach. And um, that also applies to coping with your emotions without using food. So if that's something that, that you feel like I'm an emotional eater, I hear that from people a lot. I, I don't think that over the next several weeks that that's just going to change. But I think that it could illuminate some other ways to um, to deal with it. Um, respecting your body is um, another component of this, and we will um, spend part of a week talking about that, as well as movement or activity and noticing how that feels. And then the final one that we'll spend some time on is honoring your health with gentle nutrition. For uh, a few quotes that I'll, I'll read from the book. Um, this is from the introduction. These are from people who are kind of writing to whoever reads this or people who are considering intuitive eating um, because they've adopted it. Uh, they, this person says, tell them that taking a time out to see if they're hungry doesn't mean that they can't eat if they find they're not hungry. It's just a time out to make sure that they're not eating on autopilot. If they want to eat anyway, they can. It's kind of like the idea if you you just had a meal and you feel pretty satisfied, feel pretty full, but then like your neighbor brings over, you know, pie or something, then you may kind of take a moment and you're like, oh, I'm not really hungry, but like they just brought this gift to me and I'm going to have a piece of pie. Um, so, so it's just not doing it on, on autopilot. It may, it may be kind of examining like, well, I'm not going to have three pieces of pie because I think that would put me over the edge, um, but, but kind of examining where you're at. This person says, when I saw how much I was using dieting and eating to cope with life, I realized that I had to change some of the stress in my life if I ever wanted to let go of food as a coping mechanism. I cannot tell you how many people that have, have come to me and they are like, I just, my problem is I need to stick to this diet or I need to lose weight when they've got 10 pretty major stressors going on. They're in school, they're um, trying to take care of two school-aged kids. They're also working, and they think that, like, dieting is, is the method for coping with, with so much stress. I think that it's important to kind of look at, and we will do this. There's some, some different assessments that I'll include. Um, you know, what does self-care look like for you? And, and has dieting or eating been a way that you've been kind of uh, trying to manage stress or cope with it over time? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Best Health for Us podcast for employees of Wake Forest Baptist Health. Employees can learn more at besthealthforus.com. That's besthealth, the number four, us.com. Non-employees can check us out at wakehealth.edu slash besthealth. 